Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the 13th edition of the Big Footy Bombercast for season 2021. I am again your host, Sponsor34, and I'm joined by a podcast regular in the Grizz. How are you this evening, mate? Oh, I'm doing all right. The day after a disappointing loss, but I'm doing all right generally. I'm over lockdown, but I'm, I speak for most Victorians there, I think. Yes, mate. I think we're all over lockdown, and we certainly <laughs> hope for some good news tomorrow. But we are also joined by a first-timer this evening, Dave. How are you, Dave? Good, thanks, Sponsor. bit the same. Uh, very quiet weekend, uh, Actually, I said to someone this morning, it was a great weekend up until Sunday night. All the teams I hate lost, and then mine had to lose as well. Like everybody, yes, over lockdown, but grateful that I can at least work from home. So on to next week. Yeah, so we, so we obviously will start with with last night's game. And, and Grizz, I'll, I'll throw to you first, mate. It, I think I think to be honest, Darrow myself probably jinxed us last week because we were talking about the fact that we could now talk finals and if this time next week we could possibly be in the eight with a game in hand and then you know up until you know probably first two minutes of that third quarter it did look like it was going to go that way and then GWS found some form got a run on it and unfortunately the boys just did not respond in any way shape or form that can be considered acceptable at AFL level so I mean how did you see the game it really was a tale of two halves for mine. It's interesting. I feel like against North Melbourne, we had a similarly a similar game. Sorry, in the sense that we had a really good half and a really poor half. Only Jarvis are obviously significantly better than North Melbourne in talent, and um, they put us to the sword that second half. It, it was sort of disappointing to see. Not so much we lost. Like I came into the year expecting we were going to win six or seven games. So the fact we've won eight or nine already is great. But just that. Similar to what you said, there was no response really after GWS challenged and got to basically in front halfway through that third quarter. We didn't seem to change a lot. GWS just dominated that third quarter. I think I looked at Statel, plus four in clearances, plus seven in contested possessions. They had 47 marks for the quarter. They averaged 93 for a game, and they had half of that in one quarter. And if they had averaged that over four quarters, they would have broken the world record for marks in a game. We just weren't able to shut down their chain of ball movement. And that was probably pretty obvious from the lack of pressure and frontal pressure we were putting on as they entered, exited, sorry, our, our forward 50, their D50. But um, I thought a couple of the younger guys looked good. Sam Durham looked all right. But with the exception of maybe Heppel, who tried hard, and Ridley, who was a gun, there weren't a lot of senior players that helped turn the tide in that third quarter. Yeah, I'm sort of glad you mentioned the big picture there, Grizz, because, because big picture-wise, we have probably gone a lot better this season than any of us dared to dream. I, I certainly had us bottom four at the start of the year. But, Dave, it was disappointing. I think Grizz sort of hinted there. We, the first half, we sort of seemed to pick up and carry on where we left off last week in the second half against North Melbourne, where we were up and about and, and firing. And then, and then that second half is almost like we reverted to the first half against North Melbourne, where we just did not seem to be able to hit a target. We didn't seem to be able to kick goals. And, and I I think the forward pressure for mine was the big one because I actually think our back line held up really well last night. They still only conceded, what was it, nine goals. I mean, they did kick 12 behinds, but still. I thought considering the ease at which GWS are exiting our forward 50, I thought our defense held up. But but how did you see the game last night, mate? Yeah, look, I thought the first half was good. We were probably a little bit lucky to be as far in front at halftime as we were, I thought. They missed a couple of easy shots and you know they could have easily been closer maybe only a goal down. I actually feel like I maybe mozzed us a bit. I was talking to the boys at halftime. The three boys were watching the game with me, and I said, well, if we can keep them to three goals in the second half, then you know, we've almost got to not score to lose. And lo and behold, they got a few more than three. Just interesting you were talking about the pressure. I was having a look at the stats this afternoon. 16 players had 18 tackles between them, and the other six players had 31. So 16 players had either 
one, two or no tackles. And, and I think that speaks to how easily GWS were able to transition out of our forward line when we actually indeed could get it in there. I think some of it is fatigue. I actually thought Perkins didn't play too badly. Then I looked at the stats, saw he only had eight disposals. But I, you know, I don't like to necessarily base my critique of players just on stats because there's more to footy than just disposals. I thought, you know, of the younger players, it was probably really only Ridley and probably Draper that did really, really well. I thought Nick Cox showed a bit more than he had and uh, in recent weeks. And, and Sam Durham, I think, you know, showed enough to to say we found a player and I would agree with you that the back line certainly held up. I mean, to keep them to only nine goals, agreed they, you know, they did miss some easy shots, but yeah, so did we. Uh, and I think, you know, to try and maybe keep the glass half full attitude a little bit like you, I didn't expect us to be contesting or playing finals this season. I'm not sure I had us quite down the bottom and the bottom four. We had a lot of injuries last year and, you know, the, the hubbing didn't do us any favours and that's nobody's fault but ours. I thought we could probably finish somewhere between 12th and maybe 15th. I didn't necessarily see us being bottom four material. That might have just been rose-coloured glasses. But, yeah, we missed some easy shots in the second half. We kicked 1-7. So not too much had to go differently for as badly as we played. We only lost by 13 points. So I don't think it's the disaster that some people on the board think. And and I think also that looking long-term, I don't want to see us limp into the finals, finish 8th, Go play interstate, which is probably what's going to happen and would have happened anyway because of the, the whole COVID situation and get flogged first week and go out. I don't think that does anyone any good. Yeah, it'd be great to get the monkey off the back and get rid of that whole 6,000, however many days it is. But, you know, premierships are what matters, not finals wins. If we're going to get into the finals, I want us to be competitive. And I think Truck said in his press conference we weren't going to do much in the finals playing like we had the last couple of weeks, and I think he was right. So, you know, if a couple of losses at the end of the season when everyone's hoping we make finals means we finish a little bit further down the ladder and get a slightly better draft pick, I'm not into tanking. I like the culture that winning brings, and I think the experience and the vibe around the club this year certainly helped, I think, make Zach and Darcy make their mind up to re-sign. And I think a winning culture is a good culture, but it won't hurt to have, you know, maybe another top 10 draft pick to add into the mix of what is a, you know, a pretty young group. Yeah, and I think you've sort of summed up what we're all probably thinking at the moment. Look, I'm in the group that thinks finals is nice. Um, it's probably not what I expected. And, and I'm also of the opinion that even if you do get belted, as long as you get the experience, that's something that's invaluable compared to finishing 10th or 11th and, and having your season ended early. But the tackles for me last night was a big one. And, and if you actually look at it, GWS had less tackles than us. So I suppose you could argue that was because they got their hands on the ball more. But they didn't really in the first half. So you would have sort of expected that to cancel each other out. So... It seemed that it was very much a bruise-free football style of game for mine last night. Yeah, it was. I thought that certainly in the first half when we had things running our way, they didn't put a lot of pressure on us. And in the second half when it was going their way, they didn't have to. What you said about finals, yeah, look, there's no doubt playing in a final, it's better than being wooden spooners. And I think the false dawns we've had maybe in the past where we've limped into the finals and been belted, I'm not sure that that's necessarily the case this year. You know, we've got some young kids that have been drafted with some fairly high draft picks for a change that you just look at and know they're going to be players. You know, Cox is going to be a player. Perkins is going to be a good player. We haven't seen enough of Reid, but from what I've heard, people around the club believe he's the best of the three. And it's been a long time since we can say that. You know, a lot of our draft picks have either been speculative or, you know, we've taken blokes who, for one reason or another, haven't turned out like Gumbledon, which wasn't his fault. So, you know, if we do make finals this year, look, don't get me wrong, I won't be complaining. But I said to one of my boys at the start of the year, we need to look at this season through more than a lens of 
win good, loss bad. It's about the development and, and a game plan. And, and I think you can really see the game plan that Truck wants the boys to play each week. And some weeks they do it better than others. And that's what you get with a young side. I mean, we had eight or nine, I think it was eight players with less than 50 games in the side this week. And I know we weren't quite as young as we were against North, but I think last week we were the second youngest team on the park for the round. So I think people need to temper their expectations a bit sometimes. I'm with you guys in the sense that I think the end result, i.e. wins and losses or finals, is less important than the mode. So how we're playing, um, and we've played a style game at the moment, which is getting us in winning positions, which is great. I suppose my disappointment from the weekend was that third quarter, nothing changed. Lockie Whitfield was running through the ground, setting everything up, um, looking fantastic, and no one went to him. Jeeves was just kicking the ball around in circles, and no one was pressing up to try to shut down the space. You know, that sort of thing. And, and I suppose when you've got a young team, it's really on your leaders to correct that in the moment, to be telling, you know, push up guys or come back or making those adjustments on the fly. And when you're in a young, when you, in, like Dave said, when you, you've got such a young team, you you expect the fluctuations in execution and maybe even in energy, but just the method of how we lost in that third quarter. The fourth quarter, I think we corrected it a little bit, but that third quarter was, was really bad. Yeah, I, I'm less worried about finals this year than I am about the mode of how we play and whether we're seeing our game plan, i.e. get better, so defend better, We've scored a lot this year, but not necessarily defending well. And are we making in-game adjustments? Are our leaders pointing out ways that we can improve our performance on the day? And I suppose we'll get a, a good litmus test next week against Sydney. If you're off at all, if you're not completely well-drilled, particularly coming out of the back half, their slingshot game is lethal. So uh, we'll see how we go uh, with a week to correct it, I suppose. I think what you said, Grizz, about the leadership too was, was spot on. We, we needed somebody to stand up in that third quarter and I remember Lee Matthews saying many years ago that one of the frustrations he had about later in his career playing at full forward was as a leader, you couldn't really impact the game around the middle when you were stuck up one end. And I suppose Heppel didn't quite have that problem on Sunday, given that he was at the end where the, the ball was coming down to. But you know, when you look at our midfield group, it is still pretty inexperienced other than than Dylan Sheil, and I'm not sure sort of how much the players look to him as a leader, as a recruited player. But um, I think as the group matures and gets older, hopefully that's something that'll get addressed. One of the points that I like that you raised, Grizz, was lack of pressure leading to the to the players, opposition players leading up at the ball. And we saw it against North. It was something that we all saw against North where they just kicked their way, made their merry way down the field, and nobody pressured these these lead-up kicks. And, I mean, the commentators said it a million times during the North game, and it surprised me they didn't raise it against Sydney because the same things happened again. So, Grizz, is that on Truck or is that on the players? Because, as Dave said, the players need to adjust on field. But surely Truck could have said something to them during the week about, hey, hey lads, look, we, we, like, we like the zone defence. That's what we're trying to play. But... When stuff like that happens, you need to adjust and push up to your man and not just let them take those cheap, easy marks um, all the way up the field. No, I would say that's on the players. Um, from my experience, not at any, at any elite level, but playing junior football and some local footy, no one ever plays a zone stationary. So you don't set up, as say, a zone in a third or a half of a ground like we did and just expect to stand in one spot and not have to push up at the ball carry. The whole idea of the zone is that they kick it to one flank like they did, and then the zone pushes up and closes up all the space within 60 metres. So they're either forced to pinpoint a kick and take a risk or bomb it long to a contest. But we weren't doing the second part of the zone, which was 
once they've kicked it to a flank, really pushing up and closing that space, really making that that forty that fifty five to sixty meter zone around the ball just really congested and forcing them to try bite off something or bite off more than they can chew. And we just weren't doing that. And that's on the players. I don't think Truck would have sent them out there with his own to say, hey guys, just feel free to stand in one spot, not do anything once you get there. I think yes, there could be there's a correction that can happen at three-quarter time where he gets in there and says, oh, boys, when I say his own, I don't just mean stand there. I mean, you know, put some frontal pressure on the kicker. But, you know, with the man in the mark rule as well, you can't do what Richmond did for four years and dance on the spot and really cut off the angles. But I think it was just lethargy. We looked so lethargic and guys were running in place for a while, which either means they weren't invested, which I don't really think was the case, but they looked gassed, which... Again, for a young team, you might be able to expect, but I, I think that's on the players not pushing up when they're meant to be because no one up, no one ever sets up a zone just to stand stationary in place. The whole idea is to close in that space immediately after. Yeah, look, you're right. I think just where I'm coming from is he wouldn't have said stay stationary, but he surely he would have seen what we were doing against North Melbourne and thought to himself, well, maybe I just need to remind the players to actually get up on their bikes occasionally. But it is a fairly basic football 101, such as playing in front, um, which we did not do and drove me insane multiple times last night. But, but Dave, we have touched on negatives and we will touch on another one shortly, but let's just quickly talk about some of the positives. So Heppel was good again last night, albeit I think some people thought he, his disposal let him down at times, but I think that had something to do with the pressure more than anything else. Ridley was, again... I think we're starting to take him a little bit for granted. Um, but the other player that I thought was was good last night it was a game was Will Snelling. I, I just I just love what he's brought to the football club, and I'm still amazed that he fell to a mid-season draft pick because he was really really good for, for mine last night. Yeah, look, he, he was I think third or equal third in in disposals. He had um, I think second. Uh, second in tackles, six tackles. Merritt was the only one who had more. I just love the energy and the, the pressure and the enthusiasm he brings. I guess as that's sort of small pressure forward, it'd be nice if he could hit the scoreboard a little more. But I really enjoyed watching what he brings to the table, to the team in terms of the pressure. He's probably a bit of an upgrade on, dare I say, Devin Smith at the moment with the way that Devin's been playing. Although he, he did manage to get away with not giving away a 50-metre penalty on the weekend, which was nice for change. Jordan, Jordan Ridley was outstanding. He um, just goes from strength to strength. I'm not sure whether he'll win the Crichton again this year, but he'll certainly go close. He's been consistent every week, and, and I'm struggling to think of a game where he's been torched. He actually played junior footy with a very good friend of mine's son, and the year that we drafted him, he was telling me to look out for this kid because he said, oh, look, he might not be the most talented, but he really works hard. And uh, when we drafted him, that stuck in the back of my mind and everything I've seen from him since gels with that. So, yeah, for me, those were the positives. Yeah, I, I just a, a positive for me as well was I thought Sam Draper had a great game in the ruck. I think Mumford challenged him early physically, but once Draper sort of got his bearings there, he was jumping all over him. And by the end, Shane Mumford was giving away free kicks left, right and centre in the ruck. Like, just could not handle him. And you can just tell with Sammy, he's the sort of personality that when he's physically challenged, he sort of fires up a bit. And you can just tell he loves it. He loves the the, the bang and crash of that situation and, you know, banging bodies with Mumford. And he had three clearances, I think, in that third quarter. The only player from Essendon to have multiple clearances in that third quarter. His contested possessions were good. 
he just you can tell he rips in. I thought he had a really good game against Mumford. I thought he he definitely um, took the chocolates in that matchup. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. He um, you can see he just relishes that physical contact. I think there was a a game against West Coast last year when Nat Nui uh, tried to ragdoll him, and and yeah, he just didn't take a backward step. And it's really nice to have a a ruckman who shows that physical presence on the ground, and yeah, you know, makes everyone else walk a little bit taller. Yeah, I do wonder what the battles would have been like between him and Mumford if, say, Mumford was five or six years younger and, and still in his peak because I think him and Draper are the perfect matchup for one another with the way they go about things. The thing is, Draper is very he's very aggressive already on the field, but I do think he might be able to take a trick out of, out of Mummy's book moving forward and, and just hit the tackles just a little bit harder. Not the dirty stuff that Mummy does where he accidentally hurts someone, as we've seen him do a few times, but just maybe actually drill a player into the turf because I think at times um, Drapes can be aware of just how big he is and does does try to hold back a little bit, which, you know, is not a bad thing because you don't want to see him trying to kill blokes, but it would just be nice to see him every now and then grab a midfielder from the opposition and just, just run through him, basically. Um, but, Grizz, I will swing back to, to negatives just, just for the for now. Um, our forward line last night was, was, was appalling. It, it really was. And I think now... It's starting to get to the point where it's a serious concern of ours. Now, Peter Wright, I think, last week probably masked a lot of the issues where he had a great game and he took some good marks last night, but he certainly didn't have his kicking boots on. He kicked three behinds and and he's not going to be the focal point of a forward line. He's very good at that second ruck forward role, but he's never going to be the main target that kicks you four goals, three or four goals each week. Tip and Woody was, I think he's injured. Something's not right with tip up because last night he just did he didn't look like he looked like he didn't want to be out there he was running past he was throwing his hand up as a as a half effort and that's stuff you don't see from tip and woody dev smith i thought was improved on last week's effort but again he's just not the player he was so you know we can't rely on him each week to step up and then of course the the elephant in the room which is getting bigger and bigger each week and i think it's starting to almost turn into a whale rather than an elephant is is of course kyle hooker and does he go on next year he's still probably going to end up with 40 goals for the year. So it's very hard to say to a bloke who's kicked 40 goals, thanks for the memories, we'll see you later. But if his second half of the year is how he's going to be for the whole year next year, he just simply can't play. He just does not offer anything once the ball hits the deck. Took some great strong marks last night, but once the ball hits the deck, he is just an absolute liability at the moment. And I love Chook, and I think he's been a great player, but... It's about time, I think, that maybe as a supporter base, we start probably realising he's a great servant, but he's not the player he was. Yeah, it's an interesting conundrum, our forward line. So we're actually fifth in the league in points scored. So for all the issues you raise, which are completely valid, I wouldn't disagree with any of them, to be honest. We're still somehow managed to put it, managing to put points on the board. But the greater issue is the balance of our forward line. We're scoring, but... We're scoring really one way, which is marks inside 50. If we don't mark it, the ball is coming back out with a rate of knots. Like you said, uh, Tip has got to be carrying something. Like his forward pressure has fallen off a cliff from the first half of the year. And he's an elite scoreboard player, but I think he's lost a bit of that pressure because, like you said, he, he just he's not moving as well as he wants. Dev Smith, I, I've, I've ranted about him on the podcast before. I just think he's, at the moment, probably one of the more selfish players on the list just in terms of the free kicks and the ill-discipline. Some of the shots for goal he takes, there was one point where Waller had the ball on the boundary line 40 metres out. Just about everyone else, every other Essendon supporter 
on the planet saying, Tipper, take the shot. And Dev Smith is there leading for the ball 10 metres away. Tipper's unselfish as anything, gives it to him. And Dev Smith, you know, obviously not 15, has to loop a handball back to Tipper and everyone's under pressure again. Just let Tipper take the shot. Like, you know, it's just how it's thing. But more specifically with Chook, I'm a huge Chook fan. And I, I was GM of Essendon. I'm putting a contract on the table and asking him if he wants it. But... If we're going to replace, if we're going to move past Hooker, we have to replace him because what he provides structurally and tactically, we can't really replace with anyone on our list at the moment. So um, that big body that can take a beating in the air can bring the ball to ground. Yeah, he doesn't bring a lot pressure-wise, but are we asking Baldwin to do that next year? Are we asking McBride? Are we asking Jones with all of his 16 games experience to do that for us? Peter Wright's probably found his sweet spot as that third tall Ruckman. Do we really want to ask to run the risk of trying to give him a bigger role if he's not ready for it? So if we do choose to move past Hooker, the bigger question is who are you bringing into that spot? Because I don't think there's anyone on our list that can take that anyway. Hurley, maybe, but look, the version of Hurley we're going to get next year is completely up in the air. Who knows? how he comes back from this hip infection. Is he the player as physical as he was before he left? I suppose that comes down to recruitment. I, I said on the trade thread today, for all you know, the midfield help we need, we just need to target a couple of pressure-based forwards, some genuine borderline head cases that will just harass people as their job. Guys like maybe a Ben Ronke or a Vandermeer from W from the Western Bulldogs, someone that just builds their game on pressure, bring them in and put them in that team with Waller and Snelling to pressure. But yeah, it's an interesting conundrum our forward line. It's sort of pieced together with gaffer tape and moving forward, we're going to have to find a better way to score other than just mark the entire 50, which is really the only way we're able to mark at the moment, score any at the moment. Outside Archie Perkins, it looks all right at ground level. Yeah, we've really missed Harry Jones the last couple of weeks. Yeah, the leading and the hard running that he does and yeah, the option that he gives when he presents. Not that he always wins the ball, but he generally doesn't get beaten in the air. But relying on you know, next year, relying on a third year player like him, yeah, if Hooker does retire, we're really gonna be leaving ourselves short, I think. We need a big bodied forward who can give Harry and Peter Wright the chop out by taking the best defender every week. I'm not sure whether Hurley will even play on next year. I read that the infection that he had, the surgeon told him that he's had other patients that have lost limbs. So if people are really expecting that he's going to come back from that after a year off and slot straight in, I think they're going to be in for a bit of a shock. I'm not really sure what the answer is, whether maybe we just have to be patient. We certainly do need to do something about the pressure. I'm I'm with you, Grizz. I think Tipper's injured. He looks like he's put a little bit of weight on, not that I'm into fat shaming, but he definitely doesn't look as fit as he was at the start of the season. Dev Smith's pressure's dropped off. Snelling's good, but you know, we can't have three or four players. Peter Wright's not a pressure forward. When the ball hits the ground, he's not going to be the one who keeps it in. And you could see on the on Sunday, time and again, when the ball did get into our forward line in the second half, when GWS wanted to switch it across to the other flank, they were able to do it. And, you know, they were able to get it to players who were 30, 40, 50 metres in the clear. And, and yet when the boot was on the other foot, we weren't able to do anything like that. They were just working far harder than us. And I think that's probably the biggest area we need to address uh, you know, next season. Certainly the, the team defence from the back line in the midfield seems to be working better. But in the forward line, it's, it's still a work in progress.
I think a lot of fans are relying on the Davy twins um, to be those pressure forwards you're talking about. And I think, uh, as, as EDPS said when he was on with us, Grizz, if we're expecting them to come in and, and be our missing links, we're probably being fairly unrealistic there. Oh, absolutely. And if you if we're pinning our hopes on the Davy twins, so say we do get them, right? So that's the end of 2022 to the start of the 2023 season. And they're small kids at the moment. They're pencil thin. Are we going to ask them to come in and give us 20 to 22 games of elite AFL standard pressure? So, okay, we'll wait till 2024 when they're a bit more developed. That's almost, what, two full seasons that we're just neglecting the pressure forward position in the hope the Davy Twins turn out to be what they are. It would be negligent list management not to address that now in a stopgap capacity maybe and just try to fill that hole for a couple of years or until those guys are ready who knows they might turn out to be midfielders and we're like oh what was the point of that so it's really just i think it's an there's multiple roles in that forward line that need to be addressed do you sign hooker for a cheapish contract hoping he you can eke out 15 games and bring in another guy as a supplemental rookie who can play the other seven games as a battering ram i don't know the, the creative solutions needed but yeah definitely um like i said the forward line at the moment's tied together with gaffer tape and going forward we're probably gonna have to find a more sustainable solution than just relying on maybe a baldwin or a mcbride to come good yeah look you're right it's sort of taking the words out of my mouth though for what i'm about to say about hooker though as well because signing him for another year just delays the problem for another year. If he takes that spot next year and we don't find someone like the Baldwin or any the other tools in our forward line, don't at least give them the chance. We're just delaying the problem for another year. So it will next year. I think if Hooker does go on, it has to be under the belief that if a Baldwin or someone else is fit and is performing reasonably well, doesn't have to be excellently, but just reasonably well at VFL, that Carl's going to find himself back in the VFL. And, and that's probably going to be something... He's going to have to weigh up if he wants to do next year because cause I, I just don't think you can sign him and, and let him play. I mean, I think 15 games is too many. I, I'm I'm probably in the minority, Grizz, and, and there's probably more people that agree with you, but I just think if we're going to try and get 15 games out of hooker next year, we're just delaying the problem because I don't, see us, I don't see us winning the flag next year. And I think now we need to start bringing in players who will be there for the next flag. So I do agree with you that the Davy twins, we can't rely on them. We need to fix the problem now. But I'd also say we need to fix the hooker problem now as well. And whether that's somebody on our list that we currently have or somebody we get moving forward in, in this coming draft period, I, I don't know. But but I think that that has to be the answer. But we will just quickly move forward because we are running out of time now. So we'll just quickly look at the Sydney game coming forward. Now, good news for us, Buddy Franklin has been suspended. I can't imagine they'll challenge that one because it was a pretty blatant elbow to the back of the head. <laughs> The game is being confirmed as Saturday night at the Gabba. So we are at the Gabba hosting the Swans again in our in our little Queensland bubble. We are currently outside favourites to win this game with the various uh, bookmakers. But, but Dave, how do you see the game unfolding? I think this game will probably match us a little bit better than maybe GWS because I think GWS's midfield was just too deep for us. And I don't think Sydney quite has that spread or depth in their midfield that GWS... I mean, I don't think many many teams have that spread and depth in the midfield that GWS have. So I think we probably match up better against the Swans, but I don't see us being able to, to get over the line. People forget too, you know, we're missing a couple of our midfielders in Langford and Caldwell. Put them in and it gives us a little bit more depth, but certainly Sydney missing Buddy 
you know, he's been our kryptonite. I, I've lost count of how many games I've gone to, to watch him kick, you know, seven, eight, nine goals against us. And it doesn't matter. It was a bit like watching Gary Ablett Sr. in his heyday. You could stick four players on him and he'd still stand on blokes' heads and kick goals from 60 metres out. Look, I think, yes, you're right. We can, we can certainly match it in the middle with them. I think having Sam Draper back in the ruck, he should give us an edge over uh, their ruckman, who's Hewitt. Is it Hewitt who escapes me? And I think our... That's Callum Sinclair and Tom Hickey. Hickey, sorry. Hickey was the one I was thinking of. I think he was an ex-St Kilda player. I think our, our back line can stack up with their forward line now that Franklin's out. I guess it just depends on whether Isaac Heaney decides he wants to break his hand, someone headbutting it again. But, yeah, I, I think where we're going to struggle is still going to be in the forward line. Unless we can get, you know, someone like Jones back into the team. I don't know how far away he is. I heard... It was yesterday that he doesn't have a stress fracture. It was just a, an accumulation of pain. Aaron Francis played well in the in the VFL and, and played as a forward. So I, I don't know whether they would consider bringing him in and playing him as a forward, given he's played back in the AFL every game he's played. But yeah, I think it'll probably be a bit closer. But looking at the way they've played in the last three or four weeks, they've certainly played better. And earlier in the season, I sort of looked at last week's game and this week's game and thought they were probably the two games in our run home that if we could win, we probably would sneak into the eight. Now, having lost to GWS, if we lose this game, it's really going to be tough. And, and I think they've probably just got a little bit more class all over the field, particularly our forward. As much as I don't like Heaney, he's a, he's a good player. And... Papley as well. He's an annoying little bugger, but if he played for us, we'd love him. So, yes, I think we'll probably just fall short. Yeah, I think the key to this game will just, we've got to up the effort from what we showed in that second half against GWS. I mean, Sydney, a classic Sydney, they're, they're top five in clearances, in contested possessions, in inside 50s, in points. And we've seen the highlights of them just ripping through teams off halfback, just tearing guys up through that lane system they've got going and, and the forward hand pass. So if we're not completely on our game, then we might be in trouble. The one thing we, we might have is their defensive unit isn't overly tall. So with Mark's inside 50 being one of our you know our key ways of scoring, we might be able to get an advantage if we have enough tall timber down there and guys like Wright and Hooker. However, Dane Rampey and Tom McCartan are no slouches either. So it'll be interesting, although they're slightly undersized, they're, they're still guns. So we're interesting to see how we go. We've just we've got to win clearance. We've got to get forward because if Sydney get a forward half game and they give their their mids and, and their forwards plenty of service, it's going to be a long day. Yeah, up in Queensland, I don't. It, it's sort of hard. We have a really good record against Sydney in Melbourne, so it's a shame we're not playing this in Melbourne. But I'll be tipping Sydney. But if we can snare this, we're a chance for finals. But like I said, we just want to see an increased effort. I don't expect to win, but who knows? We'll give it a rip. Chris, you do raise the fact that we have given away a, another home game by playing this at the Gabber instead of Sydney. Now, this has been a very contentious issue on the board this week. Do we play in the Queensland hub or, or are we getting screwed by the AFL now? I'll just put my hand up straight away and say I don't really care where we're playing. If we could go to the games, I would care a lot more. But from a fan point of view... We are watching the football on the television anyway. So, from my point of view, I just look at it and go, "Well, they they could be playing, but they could be playing in New Zealand for all I care, because I can't see it any other way than on the TV." Now, I appreciate the um, the home ground advantage. I'm of the opinion, for especially Sydney and, and GWS, 
it's probably not as big an advantage as we think because they do spend a lot of time in Melbourne now. And GWS absolutely spend a lot of time at Marvel because that's where they go. The AFL schedule them there because they don't get crowds. So so I'm not as as sold that it's as big a problem as it is. But, but Dave, I, I certainly know you think it is. So, so I'll, I'll, I'll let you have your thoughts, mate. And you, and you tell us why you're such a passionate advocate for, for this being a bad idea. I just was confused that we were the one team that was hubbed in Queensland when we've already travelled. And I think by the end of the season, once we've gone back up there again for the Gold Coast game, it'll be 11 games on the road. And, yeah, look, I know the interstate clubs play 10, 10 games on the road every year, but this will actually be the hour 11th. And I know it's COVID and everything else, but it just surprised me that they picked us. I think that the fact that we were playing GWS in Sydney in consecutive weeks and they played the week before us probably played a bit to do with it. I think not from any perspective other than it was just easy. So the AFL went with what was easiest rather than you know necessarily what might have been fairer. I've actually sort of come around a little bit in that whilst I still think we'd have had a bigger home ground advantage playing the two Sydney sides here, without the crowds, that takes a lot of it away. And I think listening to a couple of the players talk during the week about overcoming the adversity and, and dealing with the, the issues being up there in the hub and, and just you know overcoming things that are put in front of them and, and winning anywhere, it's probably actually long-term going to be better for them to do that as a young group. So initially, and, and I still sort of, part of me still feels we've been ripped off as a supporter group for no fault of our own, been through a shitload in the last decade. And you know to be the one club picked by the AFL to go up there and hub and lose two home games against teams that we're competing for a spot in the eight against, it just left a bit of a bad taste in my mouth. And, uh, and to be honest, I think you've, you've summed up the AFL there in that they took the easy route. And when this happened, we got sent up there with North Melbourne. Now, North Melbourne did come home. We didn't. And obviously the reason is because Sydney and GWS are up there. The AFL at the time, I think, looked at it and went, oh, look, we've got these two clubs here. COVID's just broken out in Melbourne. We kicked them out of Sydney. We could very well be about to be shut down in Melbourne. Let's put three clubs up on the Gold Coast because we know we can lock them away and forget about them. And I, and I think that's what's happened here. I think it's that simple is that the AFL thought that there was potential for Melbourne being uh, shut down again. We, we Games can't be played. That hasn't happened because the, the government, we have got on top of it quicker than previously. But I honestly think they just looked at it and went, we could be about to lose Melbourne as an option again. Let's get these three clubs out of the way and we can forget about them for three weeks and, and, and we can focus on everything else. But Grizz, I'll turn to you now. Where do you sit with this and Essendon hubbing when, when other clubs haven't had to? The logic of we play Sydney and GW, uh, sorry, Sydney GWS in Gold Coast anyway, so we'll send them up there and we do that hub. For example, if that's the case, why don't they move, they swap the Gold Coast Bulldogs games. So, for example, so we've got three straight games in the Gold Coast. Because at the moment we're going to be travelling down from Gold Coast to Melbourne to play the Bulldogs and going back up, and that just seems like a waste of fuel. You're paying for two flights when you can just do one back down. And if that's the idea, then why don't you send Carlton up there? Because Carlton just played North Melbourne, who they had also sent up there. Carlton also play GWS and the Gold Coast Suns in the last four weeks of the season. So why aren't they up doing the hub as well? So if it's, uh, if it's an ease factor of making sure we can get these games away, then you know, why aren't other clubs involved that feasibly, from using their logic, can be involved? Now, my gripe with it is actually less to do with the fact that we've gone to Queensland. That's a part of it, but I'm a bit like Dave in that I'm coming around to the benefits of it happening. I'm coming around to the logic of the AFL deciding that it's in their best interest to do this. My query on this is until a video we got from Xavier Campbell, what, 
three days ago, we like members in Victoria had heard nothing about why this was happening. Now, the point being that we can't attend the games anyway are completely valid. I get that. But if, for example, crowds are lifted in the next couple of weeks and games can be played in Victoria, then I suppose there's only going to be two opportunities for members to attend games. And when we played so many away games at the start of the year with the benefit of, okay, then we'll only have one game away from Victoria in the back half of the year, it just sort of like we've drawn the short straw of no one's fault. The AFL didn't know COVID was going to happen back half. Oh, they know COVID. They didn't know it was going to strike at exactly this time. I just think the communication's been poor and I get that everyone's moving a thousand miles an hour and sitting down to do a video for the members might be priority number, you know, 123 for Xavier Campbell. I get that, but I think it could have just been done a little more transparently than it has. And using the logic of, oh, we just want to get games away, well then why aren't you sending Carlton up there and the Bulldogs who have to play the same teams we do in the last four weeks of the season, if that's your priority. Doesn't that make sense? So why we the still the only one up there? But like Dave said, if we're, we're fair dinkum about making finals, which I'm not sure we are, we should well, just go out and win the games anyway. And if we don't, the bonding experience, we're one of the few teams I think that only have one or two players with kids. So of all the, t- that might've also been in the AFL's thinking. I thought, well, if we're going to send a team up there, we'll send the team that's only got one player, I think string with kids, because it's going to be easiest for them to go up there. Uh, they're going to be up there for a month and miss their partners, but they're all relatively young. They'll be fine. So it's just a, it's a combination of things. Is it something that I'm going to, you know, die on a hill over? Nah, it's not. Of all the things happening in the world at the moment, it's not going to, be the thing that breaks the camel's back. Uh, not going to be a straw that breaks the camel's back for me. But I just thought, yeah, it was, it was poor messaging from the start. And it was just a bit confusing as the reasons we were given weren't really necessarily matching up with um, what was happening, I thought. But, you know, I know maybe 0.5% of the details that the AFL and Essendon do. So they could, this time next year, lay out the reasons they did it. And we'd all go, oh, yeah, no, fair enough. That makes sense. Yeah, look, I think one of the things that turned my head around a little bit was was listening to, I think it was Dylan Shield uh, being interviewed, and, and he said that last year in the hub, the club didn't have a great time, uh, and this year they were trying to have a much more positive uh, attitude towards things. Uh, he said, you know, when you look at what's happening in Melbourne and Sydney with the lockdowns, he said, we're still getting to work, and we're still getting to work in a pretty nice place under pretty good conditions. So we're just trying to make the most of, you know, every game, every training session, you know, overcome any of the obstacles that are put in front of us. And I thought that was that was a really good attitude, certainly, you know, to, to hear that that's what the attitude the players are taking. So I'm a little less annoyed by the fact that it's us. Now it's, as I said to someone the other day, it's not a great big AFL conspiracy. It just is what it is. So, you know, you just got to deal with it and move on. Chris, I do get your point about other clubs, but I will just say this. I think, again, it just simply comes down to the fact that the GWS Sydney games just fell in a row for us because to send Carlton up or the Bulldogs up as well, I mean, I know they play them later in the season, but they still have to play the Melbournes and St Kilda's and, and Port Adelaide's and, and other sides as well. So, So I just think it just simply came down to the fact that we had those three in a row. Again, and I agree that Logically, it would make sense to switch the, the, the Suns game forward. But I don't know if you can. Do, I haven't looked at the fixture. It, it's not quite that easy either because the Suns, when we play the Bulldogs, the Suns play, and I was just looking at it, they play Carlton. 
The next week when we play the Suns, the Bulldogs play Hawthorne, Carlton play Port. All of a sudden you're trying to you start to try and juggle. So I'm not too sure you can just quite simply switch that. I would like them to if they were if if we still can't play crowds. I would like them to send the Bulldogs up to the Gold Coast, to be honest, because I think that makes more sense to send the Gold Dogs up to us and let us stay where we are than to send us back to play the Dogs and then send us back to playing Gold Coast. If that happens, I'll be one of the ones that absolutely cries foul. But I think in terms of why us, when other clubs are playing similar, I think it just came down to the straight stretch where we just literally play the two clubs up north and it makes it that little bit easier. That makes perfect logistical sense. The counter-argument to that is they're already in Victoria. So, you know, it's actually more effort to fly them up there to Queensland, notwithstanding the fact of what you said earlier with if if Victoria does go into a harder lockdown than we have, then we have to, you know, scramble 16 teams out of Victoria, which would be a logistical nightmare. But, yeah, I don't necessarily buy the argument of oh it's hard to be it's hard just to flip a game the afl's been flipping two or three games around for the last three weeks so i get that you know there's different rounds at play and, and different logistics but this idea that we can't just flip a game the afl's been doing it for two or three weeks well yeah, yeah yeah but i'll just jump in they've been switching time slots around they haven't been switching opponents around unless i'm mistaken i don't think they've changed opponents and, and yeah I, for yeah me, they the Brisbane Gold Coast game wasn't meant to happen until next week. They fought, they switched that one. They swapped that one around. And I think they swapped the Melbourne Doggies game as well. Yeah. I don't think they switched Melbourne Dogs. I think that was always meant to be now. Because if they've switched, so so if they brought the Brisbane Gold Coast game earlier, how have they rejigged that? So who who were Brisbane and Gold Coast meant to play in that round initially? Yeah, that's a good question. I don't. I'm not sure of the. I'm not sure of the logistics. I just remember watching the news and they said they'd brought the Gold Coast Brisbane game forward. I wonder if again that's just a time sort of thing. I, I'm like I'm, I'm not I'm not dismissing you at all, but I, if you look at the draw, it does become very difficult for us to switch games, switch opponents. So so I get I get where you're saying they've flicked games, but I, it's much easier just flick the time slots than 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 opponents. Um, but but obviously we're not worried about the the Brisbane side. So I'll take your word at it that that, that definitely happened. And it, it, that that does weaken what I'm saying a little bit. That does weaken what I'm saying absolutely. It it just maybe that simply was easier from a logistic point of view because they that the opponents the Gold Coast and, and Brisbane were playing maybe they were meant to be facing off at the same time as as Brisbane Gold Coast later down the fixture and it was a simple flip around because yeah f- for mine that's that's the only issue with switching the Gold Coast and Bulldogs is I don't know how they do that and keep the fixture as it is yeah so I've just looked it up so Melbourne Western Bulldogs Brisbane Gold Coast and Adelaide Hawthorne were meant to be next week this week was meant to be Gold Coast, Melbourne, Hawthorne, Brisbane, Western Bulldogs, Adelaide. So the sweep, because of the, the quirk in the fixture, the flip those three games because they all play each other to allow yeah, yeah. that week to come forward and that week to go back. Now that might, now that I look at that, that's, that's happened because of a really unique quirk in the fixture that those six teams play each other. So maybe it's not as logistically simple as just moving that game forward and that game back. And because you got essentially, you will, there'll be six teams affected, but I suppose, yeah, if they'll move the Bulldogs up to the Gold Coast, I I would go, yeah, all right, fair enough. Um, that suits us. Um, that's the AFL doing us a solid, displacing the Bulldogs as opposed to us. 
I know. And, and you know, the AFL is a wink, wink, nudge, nudge business. It might get to this top. It might come to the AFL sitting down and doing the fixture next year, and we go, oh, gee, we get a really good run in the first eight weeks next year. Wonder why that happens. Like it could be that. Who knows? It could be a a handshake under the table. Hey, look, Essen, you look after us and go out there without a fight, do what we need you to do. We'll look after you in the back end of next year with a fixture or whatever. Or the AFL might just say, hey, tough. You know, we're in a pandemic. We need you to do this. And Essen go, oh, cool, we don't have a choice. But if that's what it is, just it'd be helpful if that was sort of communicated. And um, lifetime feedback isn't what I'm looking for. I understand the AFL has a 1,001 priorities before they tell the Essen members you know, and fans why they're swapping games around. But the greater context is this is a first world issue in its most literal definition. Of all the thi- of all the things that could go wrong in the world at the moment, this is priority one billion and forty three. Like <laughs> there very much of, so. There are plenty of things we can be getting upset about. And the reason we talk about this is because we love football and Bigfoot is a football forum. And so if you can't discuss the machinations of a fixture in a football forum, then it's not worth having the conversation. So it's worth the greater context of COVID being of all the things to get upset about, this should be one of the lower end, considering you know what small businesses, what families, mental health crisis is happening around the world, health crises, the economy, you know, you know, all the issues we're going to have coming out of COVID. So, grand scheme of things, not important. But you know, we all love football, which is why we get so passionately invested. And I think I think you're right, Chris, in that the messaging from the club was poor, and and it didn't have to be Xavier Campbell. It could have been. You know the boot starter or or, or a water boy for all I care. If the club had just given us a message earlier, I think it would have alleviated a lot of the tension um, we've seen this week amongst Essendon fans. But one thing I do just want to point on is is Xavier Campbell has copped a lot because he let the AFL just walk all over us. I think a lot of people at the end of the day seem to forget the AFL actually own us. So so we have our own identity. We are separate from the other seventeen clubs. But if the AFL want us to go somewhere and play somewhere there really isn't a hell of a lot we can do about it. I mean, we can cause a stink and, and kick up a fight, but the fallback argument is, oh, this wouldn't happen to Collingwood. And, you, and you're right, this wouldn't happen to Collingwood. But Eddie McGuire was very, very different to any other chairman or any other president any club's ever had in how much say he had at the AFL. Because if they did something to Collingwood, he'd get on his soapbox for the next week about it and cause absolute headaches. Xavier Campbell doesn't have that avenue. He, he can't do that. Now, he, he could stand up for the AFL more. Absolutely, I get it. But if you look at a club like Port Adelaide, who have a, have a, a president in David Koch, who has an outlet similar to Eddie, he can't even get the AFL to let his club wear the jumper they want. So that to me, that, that shows the, the power that the AFL hold. And I think people are a little naive about that sometimes, especially if you look at, again, Richard Collis from Sydney. He, again, was extremely powerful, and Sydney had a very uh, – a strong power broker in charge of the club. And what happened when they got Lance Franklin? They copped a punishment for recruiting a bloke legally within the rules AFL set. If that was ridiculous. The AFL, that was uh, utterly ridiculous. But it, but it absolutely underlines my point. At the end of the day, the AFL does what they want, and there's very little anybody can do about it. Now, I'm not saying Xavier Campbell's perfect. He's absolutely not. He's definitely got his flaws, and, and many of those have been raised quite well on the board at times. But... In this particular instance, I just don't see how he could have done anything different because, yeah, the AFL have shown across many outlets, they just do what they want. 
Yeah, I think there might be... I reckon some fans might have some underlying suspicion for when there was that rumour he was targeted by the AFL for a job in-house. And so and he was almost very close to going So, uh, by all reports. So, you know, there might be some underlying suspicion. Um, you're right. And, and it could well be a case that the AFL said to Xavier Campbell and Essendon Football Club, look, whether you kick up a stink or not, you're going... And so the Essendon Football Club's gone, all right, well, we'll go then um, and we'll just, you know, come what may. But, you know, who knows? Like I said, it could be the AFL said, look, we're sending up there, but if you play ball and do what we ask, we'll look after you maybe in the first six weeks of next year's fixture. Who knows? Or it could just be bad luck you're just doing it. Um, but, yeah, for um, it, it's uh, it's hard to sort of battle the AFL when you don't have power. There's so much politics involved in the AFL; it's ridiculous. Um, but yeah, my my gripe is the messaging, less less so the decision making. Considering all that you just said, like if the AFL wanted us to go, we're going, regardless of how much of a, a hissy fit we decided to have, we're going. So it, it's more to do with the messaging and, and the clarity for mine, but. Um, like I said, first world issues. Let's not get <laughs> let let's not get uh, head in knots because you know we weren't told exactly what we wanted here either. Just on Xavier Gamble too, you know he copped a lot of flack I think last year around you know the membership numbers dropping and, and I think we were at eighty thousand the year before and, and we've dropped and now we're back to eighty thousand again this year in another season that's been interrupted by COVID. We've had. Three lockdowns, I think, this year now in Victoria, two during the football season. So for the club to have achieved you know, 80,000 members again for only the second time in our history, you know, if Xavier's going to cop a whack when things are going bad, then I think you know, he needs to be you know, given some, some praise when things go well. There's an, an old saying in footy, it's never as bad as it seems or as good as it seems. And I think sometimes maybe we just get a bit too fired up too quickly. But again, as you said, Bonser, it's because we love footy and we're passionate about it. I'm not too sure if you've been reading the uh, Xavier Campbell thread this week, Dave, but uh, a devilishly handsome uh, poster has also made that point a couple of times, which seems to have slid in under the radar. But that poster may have potentially been making it more tongue-in-cheek than anything else um but that will do us lads it has been a, a longer podcast than normal so I, I will like to just quickly thank you for coming on dave i hope we certainly didn't uh, scare you off on your first time ah not at all it was good no, i really enjoyed it it was uh it was great to finally chat to a couple of people that uh you know i've chatted online with so no, it was it was good thank you very much for having me and i hope you had a good time as always grizz love coming on and, and talk about my favourite football club in the world. It's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. So that will do us this evening, ladies and gentlemen. As I said, it has been a slightly longer than normal podcast, uh, but we did have, a, I thought, a, a fairly robust discussion around what's been a pretty topical issue on the board this week. And it's certainly good to, to get all perspectives. Um, and, and I think we could probably summarise that by saying it's much easier to have a conversation like this about a fairly topical subject, which which Dave and I probably got a little heated about last week, and he'd probably agree with me on that. It's it's much easier to have that when you're speaking rather than, than typing on a board, so that's always nice as well. But, but thank you for listening once again, everybody. And uh, as always, if you do want to jump in and join us, just feel free to shout out, and we'll uh, we'll speak to everyone again next week. Thanks, guys. Someone-